Good evening, everyone. Oh, you probably have it on spotlight. Okay. So welcome everyone. I apologize for the delay. Uh, the technology issues are always kind of tough, especially for me. So thank goodness we have Kim get us through these moments. So, uh, so welcome to you. I don't think I know um, two of you, Chris, um, I, you're in the black shirt. Yeah, it's good to, I probably have seen your face during inquiry. So maybe, um, anyway, it's a pleasure to meet you. And um, Jean, I presume. Good yeah. You. Are you here in Austin? Yeah, I am. Oh, cool. Can I go for the Thursday poetry? Uh, with Kim? Yeah. Okay, great. It's wonderful to have you. And Lisa, it's always lovely to see you. Hi, Lori. Hi. So we'll start. Uh, I'd like to um, start with some guidelines just for the uh, for intensives in general. And um, we usually give them for the longer uh, intensives, but it also applies to the one day. So I'll clue you in on that first. So first of all, welcome again to this October 2021 Appa uh, October one day plus sit. Now the theme for this uh, weekend or for Friday and Saturday is discovering the Dharma through poetry. So practice intensives, regardless of their length, are a gift that we create for ourselves and each other. It's a gift of space, silence, respect for each other's containment, and an expression of mutual opportunity by bringing yourself wholeheartedly to your practice in every moment. Silence is our most important container. Make every effort to mindfully maintain silence except during our discussions and Q&A. So just notice when uh, the natural tendency to scatter your energies when in a transition from zazen to standing, from meditation to meal time, or meditation to, to breaks. Be alert and curious about whatever is arising without any attempt at manipulation whatsoever. So please follow the schedule completely as best as you can. Schol uh, schedules are located in the handouts. Did everyone get handouts? Get the handouts? Cool, okay. Uh, be on time for Zazen and talks. And in the Zen tradition, of course, on time means at least five minutes before the event occurs or starts. Um, you can change out your, if you needed to change your seating arrangement from a chair to a cushion or what have you, feel free to do so during the breaks and um, kinhin. And you can use the, go to use the restroom also during kinhin and during breaks. And we just ask that you uh, wait for the second clapper during kinhin to, to go to the restroom. Intensives work by containing the energy we normally dissipate in our distractions and busyness. Allow yourself to be immersed in the silence and stillness 
here as much as possible. On Friday night or this evening, please maintain silence even with your roommates. Please avoid using computers, cell phones, televisions, or other devices during the time of the intensive, except for emergencies. When we take a break like this, we can notice our automatic and sometimes frantic clinging and habits of distraction. But this is the best way to fully experience this gift of time and space. If you have any questions uh, during this tonight and tomorrow, uh, if you're feeling ill or distressed, please either let me know, you can send me a private chat or let Kim know and he'll let me know. So that's it for the guidelines. So tonight, what I'd like to do is to give some background information for what we'll be discussing tomorrow. Uh, I'd like to start with the subject of the Dharma. Um, then I'll pro provide some brief history of, uh, of some of the more renowned Buddhist and, and secular poets that address the themes from Zen Buddhism with a few examples of those. Um, so in talking about the Dharma, instead of just my talking about it in some fashion, I thought it would be much more interesting and fun to, um, to think about uh, times when you might have had uh, uh, what I would call like a dharmic or nirvanic um, experience. Because this whole, whole intensive is about experience, experience of the poetry, experience of the dharma. And so um, what, what I mean when I'm talking about dharmic experience or nirvanic experiences, they're, they're actually quite common. I think most people have them. And it's just like when you have a glimpse, you, for example, you may be looking at the stars or looking at the sky and all of a sudden you, it, the whole sky expands or your sense of things just expands. Or you may be looking at something very close up. You're looking at a bee on a flower and all of a sudden there's a certain expansion. So it's things like that, or um, an experience in which all of a sudden you felt like you knew everything is interconnected. You felt like you, everybody and everything is interconnected. Have you guys ever had those kinds of experiences? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I kind of thought so. Other kinds of ones, just so you're clear, um, are, uh, there's glimpses and then there's other things that I, I call more like neuronic or moments is what uh, people call it. Where, um, for example, you're in a tangle with somebody and, uh, you know, maybe getting frustrated or getting really angry. And all of a sudden, it's as if you step back, not physically, of course, but you step back and look at the situation and it you can see what's going on, the, the tangle that's going on. And spontaneously, you are able to um, say or do something that changes the whole thing, that takes the tension out of it. And all of a sudden you can have, you have connection with the other person. It's kind of a liberating moment. 
So those are other, other kinds, or perhaps you see, or in a kind of maybe state of awareness, greater awareness, you've been out in nature, or there are all sorts of different ways you could feel more aware, but um, read a poem and feel more aware for that matter. Um, and you may look out on the street and you see some, an elderly person and you think you're looking at them and all of a sudden you see yourself in that person, that you're, you're the person that's hobbling down the road with a cane, you know, hunched over. So, so okay, you guys get a chance. If you'd like to share, I would be thrilled. I'm hoping that um, throughout this thing, we can share a lot about our experiences and stuff. So would anybody like to go first? Should I go first? Will that make you feel better, more comfortable? Sure. <laughs> it's always hard for people to start talking. Um, so, okay. Kim um, said he would share. Who? Kim. Kim. Oh, Kim. Go ahead. I'm just thinking about how um, I've heard that in Japan, you would never say, I love you but you would say something like, the moon is beautiful tonight. And that the poetry has a way of speaking that our normal language doesn't speak. And uh, you know, we keep running into this problem with ordinary language where it doesn't communicate what we want it to communicate. That's what my talk is gonna be about. But what's your experience? My experience with ordinary language, like when someone says, I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that much, usually, mm. or I apologize, yeah. you know, because it's, it's, but sometimes if they, if they tell more or make it more poetic, or you see tears running down there, then you have an experience and it seems to hit you. Yeah. So the yeah. words themselves are, are not, a conveyor of much just by themselves without any poetry. Yeah, without a form of a different kind of expression. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so anybody else? I, I sometimes experience like joy, like a high for no reason, just a high, like as if I'm like skimming, or, I don't know, just like, just real happiness. And mostly it's in connection with people and maybe some other people are drinking. I haven't had a drink at all, but I'm the one that's the highest. <laughs> but just that real profound joy. And I used to experience that, of course, as a child, but it's coming back to me. And then last few days, I experienced this real gentle gentle happiness really not connected with anything again just there and it almost made me question because it was so so powerful but so 
not triggered by an event, not triggered by something happening. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And that to me is what it's a lot of what we're talking about. It's these gifts that yeah. are there that are available to us if we're just yeah. able to be open to it, right? Yeah. And part of me wanted to shut it down. And I was like, and part of me said, no, I will stay with this experience and be present to it. And I don't care how long it lasts. It's not about how long it just to be present. Yeah. 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 Presence is such a big factor in it all. I could see the tussle. Mm, That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We humans. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I can go. Um, I have this kind of, um, I spend a fair amount of time in what I would call kind of boundarylessness. And I've told Flint that I don't feel like I came to it honestly, because initially I thought it was from chemo. I've had lots and lots of chemo, but I don't think that's it because I actually do feel it. So, but I don't have real concrete examples, but I have two that occur to me. And one just happened yesterday. Um, One of my best friends from childhood on um, has a very dear friend who is dying. And I don't know this person who is dying. And she had just been with her and I, I texted my friend and said, um, how is your friend? And she wrote back and said she was just leaving and driving home. And, um, and then she sent me a picture of the two of them together. And it was just this beautiful picture of these two women who love each other. And I, I started to cry because it was that just kind of here we all are we're all going to go this way. It was just this boundarylessness between, you know, this person that I love and this person that she loves. And there was just no boundary. And the other example was when a very dear friend of mine died. I spent the last night with her in hospice. And it was the same kind of um, peaceful feeling that was just everything's okay. This is all as it should be just so they aren't joyous ex- examples and yet they are. There's a feeling of, yeah, just everything is right. Yeah, those are beautiful. Thank you. There's a, there's a poem that we'll be reading that, that's very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, about the two women, that, that realization that this is the way we're all going. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you. It's great. I'll share. Can you hear me? Yeah. So one thing that came up for me um, has to do with the death of a very long-term friend of mine recently. And I had been calling her friend number, trying to get in touch with her for a couple of weeks unsuccessfully. And finally, her husband picked up the phone. And I said, I'm, I want to talk to Mary. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get married. 
And he said, I guess I have to tell you that she passed. Mm. And those few words and that connection between us, it was as though um, a boulder were sinking into a clear pond. I mean, there was just... There was just this really ineffable sensation I had of uh, gravity, maybe gravitas. I don't know. It, it was remarkable to me because of what the words carried, of my, why, what my words carried, of my longing to talk to my friend, of what his words carried, of the weight of the phone, of not being able to answer that phone for two weeks after his wife died. And it's like everything else simply fell away. And that's all there was. Yeah, that's a really big shock say the least. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you lost your friend recently. Those, those, the two of you were talking about death and that's, that's a big one. That's a big entry into the Dharma. There's a lot of discussion about that. And uh, yeah. It's the hard one. That's that's the the mystery. That's the ultimate mystery, right? And so hard to bear. Seemingly so hard to bear. So okay, thank you for all for for sharing. I really appreciate it. Um, so as I say, I, I I've had similar uh, things and. Um, you all, you all kind of said the same thing and I kind of alluded to them in my examples. Um, I've had situations of being uh, in dealing, uh, particularly with my mother, she's my biggest teacher. And uh, for, <laughs> for years and years and years, but this last year or two, um, it's, there have been situations where I was able, thanks to practice, I was able to, to step back for a moment and then move into changing the situation and um, bringing connection between us. And it was, um, you know, it was an amazing, amazing event. I didn't think that would ever happen. So you never know, right? You never know what's gonna happen next. So these themes uh, of our Dharmic experiences are precisely what's gonna show up in certain kinds of poems, whether they're religious or secular. So there, there are glimpses of impermanence, expanded awareness, dissolving boundaries, non-separation, non-harming, loving awareness, and just plain waking up. And as Kim said earlier, our normal linear logical language <laughs> 
while very useful and succinct in communicating information, especially technological information, or just getting the point across. <clears throat> and information relating to left, what we call left, whoops, left brain topics falls far short when trying to discuss these more subtle topics, these more awe-inspiring subjects such as questions of the heart, the wonder and beauty of nature, the mysteries of existence, and the experience of spiritual bliss. But all these topics fall into the domain of poetry, for sure. The genre which is, uh, in which grammatical rules are bent and artistic expression is the norm. It's just, it's just the perfect language for talking about these things. So this type of poetry can serve several functions. It can, um, poetry in poems, we can learn um, as spiritual practitioners in particular, um, way exemplar um, behavior. So there's one poem and it's in the packet. I think it's the first one. It's a, uh, it's a haiku from Kobayashi Isa. And uh, do you all find it or somebody would like to read it? You have it handy. If you don't, I'll read it. I'm going to roll over. So please move, cricket. <laughs> I think it's not enough, but but I mean, what, you know, what's he talking about there? He's, he's being so gentle and, and being so respectful of this little, you know, this little insect. So it's, it's a great little reminder. It's not admonishing you. It's not telling you to do it. It's, it's just, you know, it's kind of a suggestion, sort of, um, that we can take as spiritual. Say, ah, that's, that's, would be a nice way to be. And then the poems about awareness are often written by, by someone who's really observing something closely. If you're observing something closely, you're actually, you're probably in a heightened sense of awareness yourself. And if you get into a poem like that, you start reading it carefully, you too become more aware, you become heightened, have a heightened awareness. So, and then just in generally in our spiritual practice, um, if we drop the usual way of engaging with poems, that is worrying about what it means or trying to figure it out and getting stuck on lines and words we don't understand. And we just simply notice and appreciate the poem, what, what it's doing and how we feel and what the sensations are. Similarly to, and I'll say this again tomorrow, similarly to when we're sitting in meditation, we are paying attention to the sensations that we have and what's going on with our body. It's the same thing here with the poems. If we pay attention to that and don't even worry about meaning, trying to figure it out, then we can actually experience the poem, which can be very rich and rewarding <clears throat> and can also be a, a way into the Dharma. So poetry is a form of expression that has been used in Buddhism since the time of the, the Buddha. The Buddha is the first disciple, the earliest disciples. Um, and from the beginning, it has served as a vehicle for expressing the Dharma. And then the Dharma, in turn, has been a source of inspiration through the poetry. 
So I've compiled a list of, of uh, poems from different eras in Buddhism. I also have uh, what one might call secular, uh, regular poems, modern poems. But I have a list of ones from um, early Buddhism on, and it's rather short. It's in the list that I gave you. Um, so I thought what we could do is read these. You know, each of us could, you know, we go, go the four of us each take a poem and we would read them. Um, just to get a feel for the language used um, in these, in these what we call spiritual poems. So um, the first one, and we can, what we can do is, um, how do we, oh, there we go. We can um, do this by people's names. So first names, do it alphabetically. Um, so I can go first, I'm Mapamata instead of Lari, I guess, for the evening. And um, <clears throat> anyway, we'll start with the gattas and the, the gattas are verses that were, they were the first verses created and distributed by oral tradition by the earliest disciples, the monks and the nuns and that uh, were disciples of the Buddha. And eventually these poems were um, written down and translated into Pali and then put into the Pali Canon. Um, and the, <laughs> when, once they were written down and put in the Pali Canon, they were changed, they were altered. The, They've done linguistic studies on them and, and they, they have certain patterns linguistically. So you could tell in an oral tradition, you have a lot of variability, but these, there's so much repetition of certain phrases and certain words and put it, the phrases are put in a certain part of the poem. But in any way, at any rate, they're, they're interesting to read. So in the first one, I don't have, this one doesn't have an author, but um, anyway. I'll read it. Chasing after the world brings chaos. Allowing it all to come to me brings peace. So, um, so maybe as we read these, we could kind of just say what kind of sense, like that to me, as I read it, um, I get just, the, I, I get these, my, I can feel the idea of, being harried and being in chaos. And then this other of, you know, something like, a, like, a, like an ocean coming into you, it's so peaceful. So anyway, that's kind of the image that comes up in my mind when I read that. So the next poem is by Han, Han Shan. And he's one of the finest poets from the Chinese Chan or Zen tradition of the late eighth or late eighth or early ninth century. And this particular poem is number 86 from the Cold Mountain uh, collection. So who's up next? Chris. Well, I already read the one. Oh, okay. No, that's I okay. read it, but I just want everyone to have a voice. Oh yeah, we got plenty, but sure. Okay, we'll skip you this round. <laughs> Let's see, Jean, I guess you're next. JKL. Yeah. Yeah. From Cold Mountain, that one? Yes. Yeah. The clear water sparkles like crystal. You can see through it easily, right to the bottom. My mind is free from every thought. Nothing in the myriad realms can move it. 
since it cannot be wantonly roused, forever and forever it will stay unchanged. When you have learned to know in this way, you will know there is no inside or out. So did you get any sense, any uh, sensation? We don't care about meaning right now. Did you have any sense at all from, the, from reading it? Like uh, wanting a glimpse of that? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It, it seemed so far away. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe closer than you think. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, Cam, do you want to read the next one? It's a haiku. I never got the handouts. That's all. Um, I sent them to you. Oh, but you know what? I sent it to Kim Mosley, not Mr. Kim Mosley. Oh. Does that get to you still? Oh, that's what happened. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right, then. You'll be reading tomorrow. <laughs> okay. I don't know what else to do. I can't really that's sh fine. share screen. Or could I? Can I share screen? Well, if, there, if you have them on your screen, if you have them digitally, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're absolved. Okay. You're absolved right now. Okay, so then we go to uh, Lisa. Okay. Sorry about that, Kim. All right. That was a good email, Mr. Kim. <laughs> the autumn wind, the sun bright red, relentlessly hot, but the wind is of autumn. That is truly mysterious. <laughs> it's open to a lot of interpretations if you start thinking. So. No, just if you get a, if there's a, any feeling that you have, like. From no, I think I bet I'd like better just the feeling of this of this red hot wind, mm -hmm. um, even though that's not quite the poem set, what the poem says, it's the feeling that um, of autumn colors, it's a feeling of fiery red leaves and it's very contradictory, a feeling of contradiction within me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, you know, I feel like a, as though I were a little terrier like Ollie. <laughs> tugging at something. Do you know what I mean? I feel it tugging at this poem. Like, <laughs> this is such a funny poem. It really kind of makes me wake up. <laughs> oh, where did this come from? Okay, from red sun, red autumn, wind. Okay. That's special. Yeah. 
from the hype group book. <laughs> Can I say something? Sure. So you're all in Texas, right? Yeah. That, see, in Wisconsin, I'm in Wisconsin. It does not seem unusual at all because we can have very hot days and it still smells like autumn. Very ah. much like autumn. Huh. Yeah. So to me, it was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly where we are right now. We've had very warm temperatures, but it smells like autumn. The wind is just very much carrying, you know, hummus smelling and yeah. Things decay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's Actually, great. Chris, I'm in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Just say so you want to mention me in Portland. Well, so yeah, well, and you have fall there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. Both is great. Okay. So then we have the next one. It's uh Ria Khan, he's one of my favorite Buddhist poets. Um, he's a Soto Zen hermit, and he was around from 1758 to 1831. And uh, yeah, a lot of his poems are, uh, just for background, are, um, so he lived up in the mountains and he, he dies in a hermitage all by himself. And most of the time he's, he spends alone. Um, so a lot of his stuff is about that loneliness. He would say the, 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 mainly the, the gist of the poems are not all of them, but a lot of them are about, oh, so-and-so didn't come to visit me, you know, and I haven't, so he's, he's alone all the time. I mean, he's not complaining about it. He's just talking about it. So it's, it's really interesting stuff. Anyway, this one, the wind has settled. The blossoms have fallen. Birds sing. The mountains grow dark. This is the wondrous power of Buddhism. So, I, um, what I kind of got out of this was. Um, well, first, I love the imagery. You know, it's like, you no, know, the wind has been blowing, so all the blossoms have fallen off. And so the wind has settled. So you have this, this quiet after the, the wind has been blowing. And then the birds have come out, and the mountains grow dark. Presumably, it's getting dark now. And the wondrous power of Buddhism is kind of a mystery. Um, but to me, uh, well, I'm getting into thoughts now. But um, I, I, I see Buddhism as being the uh, aware of awareness. I think a lot about awareness. And um, you're aware of these things, you know, these very subtle things that are happening at this moment, you know. So that's kind of why I put that together. But at any rate, um, I love the imagery of it. Uh, and it was very, it's very calming, very calming to me, very simple. So um, we, uh, we also have, uh, now these are, as we call religious and Buddhist poems. 
And then I want to get into some of the uh, poems that aren't, they're modern and they're not Buddhist necessarily. Uh, I would call them generic or secular. Some people call it secular. Um, but anyway, in any case, both of them are uh, spiritual and secular can serve the same goal. That is um, talking about the human condition and which I, this, this comes from an article. It was, uh, what's this guy's name? He's a Tibetan teacher. And he talks a lot about uh, how nowadays the, the practice is a lot about people wanting to know how to deal with real mundane things. Like how do you deal with cranky neighbors? How do you deal with um, you know, a boss that you have trouble with? Or how do you deal with this life's problems? How do you deal with social and political awareness? How do you, you know, get people to become more aware about that? Or how do you stay calm in traffic? <laughs> you know, all these sort of things. Yes. So, those are very useful, you know, in this day and age. It's certainly apropos. So the next poem is. I'm supposed to quit it. Oh, I've gone over time. Well, that's okay, because we've kind of started late. I I'll think I'll leave this other one for another time, um, for tomorrow, actually. It's a poem by Ellen Bass. Anyway, so, so we've gotten kind of a flavor with what, what we're going to do tomorrow. We'll look at a couple of, probably two or three poems, and, and do the same sort of thing about the feelings of it, uh, and just what we seem to be sensations in the body. We want to be one of the body. So we'll do that tomorrow and the, in the um, mid-morning. And then um, in the afternoon, we'll, we'll do some writing. <clears throat> and I have a, a prompt that we can, we can use. So now I suggest we move into silence. Take advantage of that. We can kind of think about some of these poems some more. Thank you.